good morning to you on this Sunday morning at our first uh, actually official day on the new schedule. We had a couple of Sundays in the past where we uh, did trial runs about this schedule, new schedule. And uh, the day is the official start of this because we begin with the worship uh, being tied into uh, the Bible study that you will have. Uh, the choir sing, continue to sing and preparing for the book of John that they're going to present. If you see them up here singing out of a yellow folder, you know that they're singing out of the book of John that's going to be presented uh, later on this, this spring. So, uh, as I was excited about this time beginning, because I think, I think our coming together is one, and the plan that we have in this one conversation concept that we're all on the same lesson, all on the same scripture, studying the same thing. I, th- I think God has some amazing, wonderful things in store for us as we worship together and as we uh, come together uh, uh, on the same page in-, in terms of this one conversation and thinking about it. I just got excited about uh, this week thinking about what it's going to be like and thinking about all the things that are in place with our, our First Impressions team and our ushers, our greeters, our guides, our roadies out here. And especially, I, I had a dream last night. I really, really did. I had a dream about pulling into the parking lot this, this morning. And the sign says, if you're a first-time guest, put on your ha- uh, hazard lights. And in my dream, I put on my hazard lights, and I just kind of proceeded a little bit towards the, the back parking lot. And one of the roadies flagged me down and said, you're not a first-time greeter. You're not a first-time guest. Turn those flashers off. And that ended my dream. I thought, that's an abrupt ending to my dream. I, well, I don't know what happened. It would have happened in the rest of it. But today we begin a new adventure together in worship and Bible study in your life groups, uh, all with that vision of developing disciples. And the way that we have that, that hope and promise about developing di- disciples, more mature believers, is that you're not just going to study in class today this one concept, this one word, this one scripture or one lesson, whatever you're going to call it, but then in your discipleship guide that you will get, you've got five days of the coming that you have individual time or you can get together with two or three people of the same gender and, and get a little bit deeper into this whole concept uh, that we, we're going to talk about today, and that concept is holy because the first unit that we're going to study and worship together is out of uh, what Lifeway has called uh, some holy vocabulary, and we're going to be unpackaging what they call the language of faith. And we're going to look at the words holy and lost and salvation and faith and sanctified and eternal life. Now, we already get the idea of what the theme is today. What do you think we're going to be studying today? Holy. That's right. Because God is holy. And I think that's a great place for us to begin with our worship and our study because that is an attribute of God that sets him apart from anything else and anybody else and any other false God that you might have in your life. You see, when we consider the attribute of God being holy, that attribute is central to his life and who he is, his character, and his nature, his holiness. He is the holy God, but yet we have the right to come into his presence and worship him and to get a picture of him and to see him in all of his holiness and understand what that means when God is holy. If you look with me in two passages of Scripture that we have, I'll read the other one in just a moment. But the one that you'll focus on in life group Bible study time is out of Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 25. To whom will you compare me, God says, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. That's God. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. 
He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. You see, God not only created the stars, he also named the stars and he numbered the stars. That's what this holy God did. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now you ought to have a great time in your Bible study time, in your life group, just unpackaging that passage of Scripture and everything that it tells about us as God being the Holy One and what that means for our life. See, I think if we begin to understand and begin to embrace this concept of God being holy, and that's his nature and character, then our relationship with God should be totally different than a casual, haphazard kind of glance at God. You see, we'll understand that God stands alone in holiness. He is the only one who is absolute in holiness. We will understand that God's holiness defines his character and his actions. We will understand that our holy God allows us to experience a relationship with him. And we will understand that our holy God calls us not only to have a relationship with him, but he calls us to be holy and he and gives us the power through his holiness to exercise that characteristic in our life. Many, many years ago, Jonathan Edwards, a great preacher, said, A true love for God must begin with a delight in his holiness and not with a delight in any other attribute. For no other attribute is truly lovely without this. So we begin our study in this new unit about God, these holy words, this holy vocabulary, by looking at the concept of God's holiness. So if you're having this one conversation, everybody ought to be able to say, if you ask the question, what did we study today? What was the one conversation? You ought to be able to say, God is holy, because that's what we're talking about. Now, if you'll flip with me to the last book in the Bible, to Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, we get another glimpse of God and his holiness as defined here in the angelic and and great majestic worship in heaven. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. 
All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Well, that's a powerful demonstration of the kind of worship that we will experience in heaven and we will certainly be affirming the holiness of God and there's some wonderful phrases of that, how he is defined the Lord God Almighty the king of the ages wow and this God the Lord Almighty and king of the ages is the holy God and we worship him because he is holy and we should never give any disrespect to him because he is the one true holy God a few weeks ago, uh, when our family was together in Kentucky for my wife's father's funeral for my father-in-law, uh, 93 years old, been in the gospel ministry since he was 16, and we had a great celebration of his life, and we appreciate your prayers for us and your many acts of, uh, of kindness and all the cards. In fact, Cookie's been home, came home on Monday, she hadn't even had a chance to get through all the cards you sent so many, and we're appreciative of that. But there was a news story that broke while we were up there that happened in the state of Kentucky that really gave me some trouble. It really gave me some trouble. It's about a man named Ben Hart who was an atheist. And he brought a suit against the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet because they rejected the personalized license plate that he wanted. Can you imagine this? This is what he wanted on his license plate. I'm God. I'm God. That's what he wanted on his license plate. Well, the Kentucky court said, no, you can't have that. But it went to a federal judge, and the federal judge ruled and said that that would be a violation of the First Amendment. He didn't have one of these vanity plates. So now the Kentucky Department of Transportation has to pay Ben Hart $150,000 in his suit and give him the license plate that he can ride around proclaiming, I'm God. All this for a man who claims to be an atheist. Now, one of these days, our holy God is going to have enough of this blasphemy. And he's going to bring his wrath and vengeance upon this nation. But today, if we grow in our understanding of holiness, how holy God is in comparison to the unholiness and the blasphemous and pompous and arrogantly sinful attitude in this nation, then we have a chance to know that God has no equals and he, and he alone is God and he is worthy of our praise. Now, let's affirm three things today as we look at the Scripture and unpackage this word holy. Number one, let's make the affirmation that God alone is holy. God alone is holy. Now, what does that mean when we come to that word holy or holiness? What does it mean? Literally, the, the translation of that word literally means to be set apart. To be set apart from everything else and to be different, to be holy. And certainly God is separated and set apart from everything else because he is God and he is holy. Holiness is the condition of being set apart from and being removed from all that is sinful. And we certainly should understand that about God. That he is perfect and holy and righteousness and there is no sin in him. And that sets him apart from everything in nature and every one of us as created human beings. That he is holy. In Exodus 15 11, we find these words Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Can you begin to get a, a, a vision about this holy God that he is majestic in holiness? It doesn't tell us that he's pompous in his holiness. 
but he tells us that he is majestic in his holiness. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 6, when he went into worship, had that great vision of God. And, and, and in there he declared, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. He doesn't just say God is holy. He doesn't say God is holy, holy, but he says God is holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of his glory. Now we're looking at Revelation 4.8. I think Rick made reference to that a moment ago. And at 4.8 in Revelation we find these words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now all these writers and all the other places we, we will look today are seeking to declare the same message to us, and that is God is holy. That's your one thought for today. God is holy, and God alone is holy. Revelation 15, 4 that we read a moment ago says, You alone are holy, God. And that means then that God is set apart because He is holy, He is perfect, He is totally free from sin, and He sets the standard for holiness. The affirmation was, great and marvelous are your deeds, just and true are your ways, and all the ways are perfect in holiness. And yet this marvelous, glorious, majestic, holy God allows us, lost sinners, in all of our unrighteousness and filth, to have a relationship with Him. As the holy God. So what does this holiness mean for us? And how, how do we experience this holiness? How do we experience uh, the holiness that God gives to us? Well, understanding the holiness of God is looking like a, a large coin. With obviously two sides on it. But, the, but they are so distinctly different that it's uh, very easy to determine what's heads and what's tails. On one side... We have the holiness of God that is displayed to us in all of this majesty and sovereignty and holiness. On the other side of that coin is our sinfulness. We see ourselves as sinful, wretched, destroyed, and wicked. And yet our only hope for salvation is in the holiness and the glory of God. Isaiah experienced that in the temple when he said, Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. So how do we come to experience this holiness in our life? Well, there's a twofold, I think, way that we experience this. Number one is we experience holiness in salvation. There's the holiness of salvation. See, when Jesus is obedient to the will of God and he comes to earth, lives his life, shows us what God is like, and then he goes to the cross and dies in our place for our sins. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10.10 that by that will... We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. How are we made holy to come into the presence of God? Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He sees us as righteous and holy and not wicked and sinful. See, so we are made holy in the experience of salvation. And that's how we become holy people. The Apostle Peter calls us in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10... You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So there's the holiness of salvation. We are made holy in the sight of God when we experience Christ in that salvation. 
And then there's another phrase that I think it, that we need to understand, and that it is we experience the holiness of sanctification. Now, now sanctification isn't a, a, a very common word that we use in the vernacular of our Baptist life. We're, you know, we're more staid and, and in control of our emotions, and we kind of like think that sanctification involves a whole other realm of spiritual life, and that we leave that up for the Pentecostals and the holiness, right? We're scared to death of the Holy Spirit and what he might do in our life and what he might bring about. But the reality is that sanctification simply means that we grow more and more and more into the image of Christ through the concept of holiness. The more and more that we give our life to God, the more and more that we get into his word, the more that we practice the word of God, then the more that we grow in holiness. And that's that process of sanctification. We would call it discipleship, that we're growing deeper in the faith we're growing together as disciples who are mature and devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 tells us this, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Perfecting holiness is what we should aim for. That's sanctification. So we affirm, first of all, that God alone is holy. But through salvation and sanctification, we come to experience holiness. Now, the second thing we need to affirm today is that God calls us to be holy people. We've already made reference to that, but we're going to dig a little bit deeper here. We go back to 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. And the apostle says, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. See, in this culture, that is a great challenge for us, isn't it? Because there is a frightening insignificance of God in our culture that surely does not value holiness. God challenges us to be holy people in the midst of the most vulgar and crude and sinful culture probably this country has ever seen. And it's raging like wildfires in California right now. But God calls us to be holy. He challenges us to be holy because he says, I am holy. Now, how, how do you respond to that? What do you think about that call to holiness? Well, I'll be honest with you and tell you, I struggle with that for several reasons. Just the very thought of being holy because God is holy just puts me in awe of God and I'm thinking, how in the world am I supposed to practice holiness the way that God does? God's holy. He's the only one truly holy. How am I supposed to be holy like God is holy? And then you see, I think all of us have to realize when we really get down to being honest about it, none of us really think about the fact that we live with a passion to become holy, do we? 
Whenever you ask, or if any of my children are around, or students, whatever, you ask, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Nobody ever says, I want to be holy, do we? No. You even go into one of our, our life group classes on Wednesday night, or you go into your life group, Bible study class. If you were to ask, what do you want to gain out of this study? I don't think anybody would ever say, I want to come out of here being holy. I want to come out of here being holy. I just don't think that we think about it in terms that God wants us to think about. It's not a holier-than-thou attitude that we have with a condescending look down on other people, but it's a challenge from God for us to live for him in the world where he has placed us, that we should desire to be a holy people. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Now listen to this phrase. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now that ought to be a sobering thought for us today. That ought to be a thought we carry with us all week long, all month long, all year long, all of our life. Without holiness, we will not see God. So that's why God calls us to be holy. Two reasons, basically, I think of. Because God is holy. We go back to 1 Peter. You also are to be holy in your conduct, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. No matter what kind of lifestyle you choose to live, married, single, whether you want to live a, a frivolous lifestyle, whether you want to live a genuine, sincere lifestyle, whether you're serious about being in church or not. God still puts the restrictions on you and the mandate on you. It says he wants you to be holy. He wants us to be like he is. He wants us as his children to look like he is. And the second reason we need to be holy is because our culture needs it. I don't think you have to look very far to see that there is that insignificant attitude about the holiness of God that's being put on display throughout our country. Now, rather than just sitting back and saying, oh, woe is me, let's just hope for the Lord to come. Come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And stick our heads in the sand. There's something else we can do about it. And that is that we can attempt to be holy in this unholy culture in which we live. We can be separate. We can be different than the world. And that means then that we live so that we can make a difference in the world as God's people who are living a holy life in the midst of all this unholiness. When we're really practicing holiness, that's when we are authentic, that's when we're real, that's when we're genuine. And our culture needs that, doesn't it? Our culture needs it. Live such good lives, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2. Live such good lives among the pagans in that interesting choice of words that he has for the non-believers. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Let me help you understand something. In your quest for being holy, a holy person is not an odd person, but a distinct person. See, a holy person has a characteristic about him or her that sets them apart from the vast majority of the culture in which they live. 
They're not holier than thou, but they are real. They're genuine. They're authentic. And they represent the likeness of Jesus Christ to a watching world. So we need to be holy because God is holy and because our culture needs it. And then we need to also realize, thirdly, that holiness requires a complete makeover in our spiritual life. In the past years, decades, I guess, we've seen all kind of television shows about extreme makeover, extreme home makeover, the swan trading places, the biggest loser. You know, it's all about makeovers, either of a person or a piece of property. Well, we need to think about in terms of holiness in our life, that holiness requires a makeover in our life. And that is how we think and how we live and how we act. First of all, holiness is a commitment that we make. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. There it is again. So that begs to ask you, how are you pursuing holiness? Are you doing it with the same fervor with which you are pursuing your, your vocation? Are you doing it with the same enthusiasm that you're going about your athletic ability? Are you pursuing holiness with the same enthusiastic desire that you are trying to hone down your, your hobby, whether it's golf, fishing, or whatever it might be? to an absolute exact science. See, none of us really drift towards holiness. But we drift towards godliness and disobedience and sinfulness. And we can't just assume that we're going to eventually end up being holy. We have to make a commitment to holiness. Because, you see, we drift towards compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience, and we call it freedom. We drift towards superstition, and we call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control, and we call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness, and we delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. God calls us to be holy, and it's a commitment that we have to make. When you hear God say, be holy because I'm holy, you've got to realize it's a commitment you have to make. Then secondly, it involves the way that we think. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You remember the phrase, and it was years and years ago when personal computers became less than the size of a closet and they became something you could put on your desktop or your lap. You remember the phrase that was used about, about programming computers? What was it? G-I-G-O. What is that? Garbage in, garbage out. That's what, if, you, if that's what you program your computer with, that's what's going to come out of it. Same thing is true with you, your mind. What do you think about? What do you read? What shows do you watch? What movies do you attend? Garbage in, garbage out. You want to live a holy lifestyle. It's got to be different. You've got you to make a commitment to it, and, and then it involves the way that you think. 
See, everything that we put into our life has some kind of influence on who we are and what we will be. So it affects the way we think. Then thirdly, we have to look at changing the way we live. We have to make a commitment to holiness by exercising self-control. And the beauty of that is when you get into your study today in your life group, and it talks about, Isaiah talks about that God is holy, and then he talks about do you not know, have you not heard? In other words, he's saying, don't you remember what God is like? And he's talking about the fact that God gives you the power. He empowers you to walk and run and fly. And it's literally in the Hebrew that we exchange our weakness for God's strength. And he empowers us to do that. No, we can't be holy on our own. But we can pursue it rightfully when we allow God to empower us. And I think that's the key teaching that you will find in your lesson for today. But in Romans 6, we find these words, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. You see, self-control allows us to live alive in Christ and dead to sin. I don't know who said it, but I think it's a nice quote. Said most of us have never really died to sin. We've just had a few fainting spells. God says, be holy because I'm holy. Now, what's the implication of all that for us today? Well, I hope you'll take it seriously for five days this week and you follow along in your discipleship guide and you, and you just unpackage this passage of Scripture from Isaiah and others that might come to mind. Let me raise some questions for us today. If holiness describes separation, when is the last time you comprehended God for who he is as the one true holy God? If holiness declares God's glory, do we marvel at God's glory and give him credit for his work? I'll tell you two experiences in my life that really that really spoke to me about the awesome holiness of God and his power. Four times when I watched our children come into this world, I went to my knees in the delivery room and thanked God for what he had done, another miracle of life, and that Cookie and I had a part in, in, in bringing life into this world. And I saw the glory of God. Then in the realm of nature, Standing on the south rim of the Grand Canyon in 1989, I just I looked at that awesome thing. I thought, God, somehow God created this, and isn't it majestic? And God is awesome for doing this. And I just began to quote Psalm 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him? I knew I stood in the presence of the work of a holy God who was mighty and powerful and creative. I think we need to leave indifference attitude towards the, the majesty of, and glory of God being displayed around us and embrace 
the holiness of God in everyday life. Look for God. Look for God in the everyday things of life and you will see him in his majesty and his glory. One other thought I give to you. If holiness dictates our service, are we serving and telling others about this God and his impact on our lives? I thought about something. Um, we know that the global warming is a hot, is, that's one of the buzzwords today. It's a hot topic in the, in the presidential debates and presidential candidates running. And, and, and it's not without its controversy. And it's an interesting thing if you want to go and see, talk about the footprint that you will leave, the carbon footprint that you will leave. You can go to the website, www.carbonfootprint.com. And all of that's very interesting. Uh, and it's controversial sometimes. But here's an analogy I think we can make. And that is, if, if we made a commitment to holiness, think about the holy footprints that we could leave on our culture. So God is holy. He challenges us to be holy. And it's a challenge of faith and obedience. God is holy. Be holy. Father God, we, we stand in awe of you because you are the one true God. You are the one and the only one who is holy in every way. And we come before you today just to, just to worship you in your holiness and your majesty. And we seek, Father, the power that you give to us that empowers us to live a holy life and to be holy because you are holy. And you take that holy life out into our culture and show that we are different, that we're committed to you and we're not ashamed of your holiness living in our life. Help us, Father, be holy because you are holy. Now, Father, I pray that you will move through this gathering of people today. Some of your, these are yours by faith because they've committed their life to you. Others, perhaps, have not yet made that decision. May they come today and acknowledge their faith in Christ as Savior and Lord and experience the holiness of salvation. Others, Father, might want to come today and join and be a part of this family of faith at Spring Valley Baptist. Have your way, Father, as the Holy Spirit moves among us and convicts us of what we need to do. They might want to come to the altar and pray and pray over their name of their one they put in this boat in the net so that we might reach people for you and for your glory. Father, I commit this invitation time to you through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen.